Hi, this is uh, Steve. And this is John. And this is Quixotic. Uh, we are now on episode, I don't know what episode number we're on. We're just on an episode. Let's just face well, it. We, we recorded a couple that we never published because we never published them. And then, <laughs> and then we just kind of stopped. And, and then we just stopped. <laughs> but we'll hopefully we'll have a new episode out here in a little bit. And then uh, we'll just continue doing this. Um, hopefully get new stuff out there. Um, you know, we'll do it. So, all right. So the way that we like to begin these episodes is to talk about things that we're drinking currently. Um, cause John's is boring. I'm going to start with mine first. Uh, I am drinking a red wine called jazz. It is a nice, uh, petite Syrah. It is, uh, it comes from California. It is a very, very good red wine. So I suggest it to anybody who, who wants to, uh, who likes red wine. Uh, it's just a very deep, earthy, uh, very juicy red wine. That's all, that's all I'm going to go with. So, John, what are you drinking tonight? My mine's not – yours isn't boring? Is that what you're saying? My mine is not boring at all, man. Mine, yeah. is a, mine is a lot better than mine last time. So well, taking a page from you last week, I'm drinking <laughs> herbal tea because I'm feeling sick now. So, apparently you got well, me sick over the interwebs. I was not sick though. I was on a juice cleanse. That was something way different, man. Something way different. So you got me sick of your juice cleanse over the interwebs. <laughs> All right, well, cool. So <laughs> even though I had a very nice cocktail picked out for this evening, I am not feeling up to it. So, so are you gonna are you gonna save the cocktail for next I will. time? I will. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I like that idea. All right. Provided, cool. provided I don't drink all the uh, ingredients before then. <laughs> If you if you do, just let me know. I will bring you more. I will send ingredients to you. So oh, is that how this works, man? I've That's got I've got a shopping list. <laughs> I need to visit South Carolina more often. Is what is what it what it comes down to. This is we need to do a podcast in person. Is is the way that this really needs to happen. So, Why do you think that? I just I think I think I think it's it just be a lot more fun for you and I talking to each other. I, like we we ran well already. I love it here, but I don't think you particularly care for it. I I love the history. I think it's a cool city. Charleston is is a really I could I could see myself staying in Charleston for a little bit of time. But it, it every time I'm out there, it gets it's really gloomy, and I miss the sun. And, You've been out uh, here November and New Year's. Yeah, it's just, I'm in July. You dumb son of a bitch! Like, is 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 it not just like marine wait, layer? You, you think it's Washington State in the summer? Like, well, I think people <laughs> complain about the heat. Like, and the but, sweltering humidity. Yeah, but when I think of any coastal city, because I lived in San Francisco for a little bit, so you get just in, in LA. When I go visit LA, like you just deal with marine layer all the time, and so that's that's what it reminded me of. Is just this this marine layer that you're just dealing with, and you have to accept. So, yeah. well, it's frequently wet all the time. That's true, but we have long hot summers. I'm actually this winter is colder than last year. So I don't care what anybody says. Like you say, long hot summers, but is it? Is it sunny, long, hot? Oh, yeah. Okay. We do have our rainstorms, obviously, but, and when it rains here, it rains here, but. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. You've been here and Thanksgiving and New Year's. You can't. Oh, it's gloomy every time I show up at the end of the year. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) Fuck you. It was gloomy, motherfucker. Every single I'm always like, this sucks. Like, I just want to smile and I can't. So um, I'm there for a week and it's like gloomy as shit. So. I've already, I mean, like I said, this winter has been colder. I've had like 
not like teens, but I've had more mornings than I'd care to care for in the mid twenties this winter, but also last week it was already in the seventies. It dipped back down. And then here, like just recently it was cold and then it's not warmer, but it's already warmed back up as more rains come in. Okay. So it'll like, we'll get those cold, clear nights and I hate him. And I do not remember twenties last year. I don't, there were some cold days, but nothing like that. This year, it's just like, oh, stop going below freezing. This is the South. <laughs> I moved That's here to get away from that. <laughs> this is this is the South. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm I, cold by Guam. Like Guam got to seventy three once. They were freaking out. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know how that, um, how that works in a tropical area, like. Right, like Atlanta, and they, they, the the term now is called Snowlanta when it when it hit like that blizzard or whatever that hit Atlanta, and it essentially I get that it froze everything, but you had motherfuckers walking away from their car. They were so scared of snow, they they literally just like because it's Atlanta here, and you know we grew up in Colorado. We're like whatever, you know. Snow. Well, not whatever. I mean, three feet of snow was enough to close down the city, so not whatever. Sure. Like, <laughs> three feet. You didn't necessarily stay three feet very often unless you were up in the mountains, though. No, 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 no. But, no, but again, we were, now, I do notice, I have noticed that school days are a lot more common now. Like, they've decided, like, they, they call the school day way easier than they used to. Yeah. Because we were growing up, I don't think we went to the same elementary school, but we went to the same middle, middle school and high school. But when I was growing up, when I got up in the morning, if there was not a foot on the snow, a foot of snow on the ground, I didn't even dream that we were going to have a snow day. No, you know, yeah. and, it, and a, a foot wasn't going to do it. It was just a foot was like the threshold where you could maybe start kind of wishing for it. Yeah, yeah. we would. I remember we would watch uh, TV in the morning after a snowstorm. Like I would watch TV, purposely turn it on while I was waiting for things to happen. Be like, they're going to give us a snow day. They're going to give us a snow day. It was like, fuck, no snow day. So I remember that, like just like wishing and praying. I just want a snow day. So I think they also not just they call them more often, but now there's a lot more late days where yeah, just things aren't going to start right at start time because they let the trucks get out and clear. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're still going to go to school or work or whatever that day. But and sometimes they don't even have that. So we are way off topic here, but whatever. Hmm. You know, hey, this is how we start our, our shit. We just, you know, this is why it's quixotic, because we just talk about random shit. So well, that's not what quixotic means, but. But hey, we'll we'll go with it. <laughs> um, this is just John and I waxing poetic about life in general. Um, sure. So we'll uh, all right. So we'll get back on topic here. We'll, so the the topic for tonight is underrated films, and so we didn't do a top ten or anything else like that. But we just we just have uh, a list of films that, um, and I know John's got probably more than I do. Um, That's not saying much. No, it's yeah, not. We really did an overrated stuff. list and. I figured yeah. it's not fair to do an underrated list. Granted, the underrated list is a lot shorter. Yeah. And I ended up thinking of more overrated movies as I tried to think of underrated <laughs> ones. <laughs> I did the same. That was the problem is I was like, no, that's really an overrated film that really like, uh, you know, I won't even say what came to mind, but I was, I was in the same way. I was like, okay, this is, this is, what about this? No, that's really overrated. That was a shitty film. Um, yeah. And it's just, cause I was, we we're trying to think of our, whatever our rules here. And it's just like, not really obscure films. No, I think we could bring up here's a movie that I think deserves more attention than it gets. 
Mm-hmm. But I'm like I said, I don't. I'm not necessarily thinking of obscure movies, that, but movies that are relatively well known, but unpopular. That I think or we think has gotten a bad rap. Yeah, it's kind of a narrow window too. So, or just not even a bad rap, but just overlooked. Like you talk about film, like one of mine. I know I'll talk about, and I, and and I think it's got a good following. But but generally, if 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 it comes up. It's not something that people are like, that's a really great film. I, I haven't seen that in years. It's something like just like, yeah, whatever. I've seen it once or just, they just didn't like it, you know? So, um, yeah. All right, man. All right. We're going to start with you, John. What do you got? All right. So, um, my first and foremost, I forgot. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> um I'm going to bring up one again. Maybe this does kind of fall under. It's actually obscure, but I figure since the rest of their catalog is way better known, I figure it should be a better known one. So I'm going to open with Barton Fink. What? I love Barton Fink. You you think that is underrated? So many people that actually, most people haven't seen it. The few people I do know that have seen it say they don't like it. Not That's not 100% accurate, but... You know, we we were shown that movie in high school creative writing class. Yeah, yeah. Seminoles. We were we were uh, shown three movies in that class. That was the only American movie we watched: an Italian movie, a French movie, and Barton Fink. And because he was just demonstrating symbolism to us, he was like, all three films were like, you know, here's symbolism. And especially, I've, I know I've said this before: the first movie we watched was Cinema Paradiso. Yeah. The Italian movie, and that I'm not going to say that's a good movie, but to me, that is the film student template movie. Like this is the generic watch this movie and like make your own story filling in the details. But this is, this is the model, like build the structure of your film off this. And that was just the impression I got from that, but no. So Barton Fink one. Yes. They were not that well known yet. Although they'd had hits like raising Arizona. Blood simple. My friends blood simple was Blood simple. Hit. wasn't a hit. It was not a hit. Um, no way. Was it? They 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 got you know they got some acclaim with Raising Arizona, but then they really didn't take off until Fargo and Fargo. Yeah, well, Fargo was uh, Oscar, wasn't it? You know that might be an overrated movie. Overrated film. <laughs> I don't necessarily dislike Fargo, but I it might be my least favorite movie of theirs. Um, but Barton Fink, it had a very neat idea. I think anybody creative, whether they're like a writer, like the main character in the story or a filmmaker or a painter or a musician, doesn't matter. Any creative person needs to watch Barton Fink and take that to heart because he, the main character in that was so full of himself without realizing it. Like he was, he had this, what he viewed as this noble dream and he didn't realize the whole time he had his own head up his ass. Like, or his head up his own ass. Basically, that was the whole point of that movie, other than the very obvious what the movie's actually about thing going on. But yeah. So it's funny that you because I had thought about that being on my list as an like, underrated as as an underrated film. I really did. Like I thought I was thinking about it. I was like, is Barton Fink? Because I don't feel like any Coen Brothers films, and maybe it's just because like the way that we, you and I think about film and we tend to follow the, the more culty style things. So like I had like in my mind, I had just kind of put the, like that, that was just like, that was, that was the movie that was like, it wasn't really 
underrated. Like I felt like it was always looked at as like a work of classic art almost. Right. I would mm-hmm. agree with you that Fargo is, is overrated. Like out of all of their films, that is one of their, their worst films. And yet it's the one that has given them the most acclaim. So well, at least until no country for old men and arguably Oh brother art though, I think got more popular than Fargo. I loved Oh brother art though. So don't, I, I do, but it's, it's not a movie. Same with no country for old men. I don't dislike no country for old men. I like it. It's just not a movie I can watch often. Yeah. And it's, it's not one that's going to come back up frequently for me. Um, See, I can like no country for old men. I can watch because I love the fact that it is the Odyssey, and I love the story of the Odyssey. So for that's me, like, word, yeah, yeah, but that's what exactly what I'm talking about. Like I love that no story. For old men. I'm a, a, fuck you, man. Whatever. I know what I said. I know what I said. Anyways, <laughs> like as far as as far as our brother Art that is concerned, like yes. It's the story of the Odyssey. I gotta watch it again, and again, and again. I could like I haven't seen No Country for Old Men in a long time. I sh- I do probably want to rewatch it. I did enjoy it the first time I watched it. I did too, um, but I, I've only seen it once, and it's been a long time. But it was just I saw it. I liked it. It hasn't really like scratched an itch for me ever since. Like ooh, I was yeah. sad at the way that it it uh, um, uh, my like my my biggest concern with it was. Uh, that like Tommy Lee Jones didn't really have like a huge part in it in the, in the end. It was just kind of telling the Maybe story. It's kind of one of the sticking points for me. And I'm sure there's some symbolic or artistic reason why, but it's just, here's this movie, here's this plot that's going on. And then every once in a while it cuts to Tommy Lee Jones, just talking about stuff. Oh, like, but he's the, like, narr- like, that's the, that's first, he's, he's the, the narrator, narrator, but he's the narrator of a different movie. Like that. He's been cut into this one. It's just, yeah. it's weird. Yeah. But I didn't dislike New Country for Old Men, and I wouldn't say it's overrated. It's just not one that's going to uh, really scratch me very often. Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Um, all right, should I give one, or do you want to give another one? You can give one. Okay. So <laughs> I, I I thought long and hard about this stuff, and because uh, I I think I think my biggest problem is like I, I don't know like if we set the rules out, it's hard to say underrated film because it's like, okay, well underrated could mean a lot of different things. The the critics hated it, but the people loved it. Right. Which happens all the time or people hated it and critics, critics loved it. And that happens all the time too, as well. And so, um, you know, so it was hard to find like, you know, where, like where we would love a film that was, that was really good. Um, so I'm going to go with my first one and I might kind of hit the same actor a lot. Which is unfortunate. <laughs> So you just have to deal with it. But uh, the first one I've got is Three Amigos. I love Three it. Amigos. Three Amigos, man. So, I, I know it was popular in the 80s. At least I remember hearing about it. And I was kind of too, if you will, too young for it when it first came out, I guess. So I didn't see it till later. And I remember chuckling at it. But I, I, I guess I always figured Three Amigos was a popular movie. See, I, I never looked at it as a popular like as far as like people are concerned. <laughs> there's probably a good set of people who enjoy that film, but I've talked to other people who are just like, nah, they could they they just don't they could take it or leave it. You know, it's just one of those like it's either a really stupid humor that they don't understand, um, or it's just you know. One thing, just, I, I, and this just kind of occurred to me. It's a completely different setting, but it was almost kind of the original Galaxy Quest. Yeah, I mean, because it's it's like actors who don't know that they're in a real um, scenario. Yeah, in a real scenario, and so um, yeah, like Galaxy Quest could have taken some of the some of the hint from that. Before, you know, definitely. Um, 
That's another movie that that probably is underrated. It has a cult following, um, but it's popular only like circles in certain circles. You know? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, and, and it was kind of it was it was popular when it came out. It was just kind of forgotten about, which is not uncommon. But um, I know we were uh, when we were discussing this. You were kind of like, uh, "Oh, really? You're going to say this?" Um, Watchmen. <laughs> Uh, and I know you don't care for Watchmen, and it is one of my top movies. Now, again, that's also kind of a movie that has a cult following, but it was a lot of people went to it expecting a comic book movie. And while that is technically true, it's all we got. Technically true. Uh, it is a whole different kettle of fish than Iron Man, and then. That's just because it was Zach's. If Zack Snyder directed Iron Man, you'd get The Watchmen. Like at the end well, of the day, he did, like it he, really what the graphic novel was too. Like people argue yes. about whether or not how good of a adaptation he did, but that's he was my dealing. With, like, he's dealing. Like, no, people argue with that, but it wasn't an Iron Man story. He was dealing with a much darker story about people who do not like superheroes or like a superhero. It was almost kind of like. Um, how the boys came out and it was popular. And one of the reasons people were saying it's popular is because we're at like this oversaturation point with superheroes. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a movie that, ad- or a TV show that addresses that feeling. Watchmen was almost kind of like that, you know, 12 years ago now. And, and, and that's, that's fine. My problem though, is like he did, he literally did except for the ending and fuck people. If, if they're seeing this and they're worried about spoilers, who the fuck cares? Like it's, it's uh, 2009. It is, literally, it is frame for fucking frame. The comic book, like, which he did with 300 as well. And, and many, many scenes. He didn't do that with, he, he, he did incorporate many scenes from the comic book of 300 into the movie, but 300 was way too short to be the movie, but he literally, except for the thing, he added the scene with Leonidas' wife. Like, those were not in the, the graphic novel. Those, yeah. those he added. But, like, the, the scene where he throws the spear at Xerxes, literally yeah. the only difference is the other side of the cheek. Like, and that's his right like, cheek in the movie, and it's his left cheek in the graphic novel. It's That's fine. But there was no fucking liberty. Like, he did nothing to make it a different. So, at least Damon Lindoff with the whole um, Watchmen TV series has taken it in at least a different direction and tried to do something different. Not just like, we're just going to take Alan Moore's work and just put it on the screen. Oh, and, well, and, we're going to have to cancel our podcast after you saying that. <laughs> I know you don't like that TV show, but it's actually, it's not that bad, man. It's not that bad. Anyways, let's, let's, let's stay on. We're going to have to cancel our podcast. Yeah, let's stay on task, motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> let's, as far as this whole thing is concerned though, honestly, this is my problem with it. And, and and then you can have your say, all right, but it is literally the comic book. It's a motion comic book. He did nothing different but take what was written on the page, frame by frame, and put it up there. And that was bullshit. Like, at the end of the day, like, it was lazy-ass fucking cinematography is all it was. One, one could argue that uh, that's exactly what people want, though. I think that when people complain that it's not the comic book, they're wrong. Honestly, like you, you have to, you have to, and this is what Marvel I feel has done a really good job of is understanding the medium is different and that to, and so that they can, they can have 
creative license in their stories and incorporate some of the stories like Iron Man 2 being demon in a bottle kind of shit like that, right? Even though Tony Stark wasn't dealing with alcoholism, it's still dealing with his demons. And so like you could tell Iron Man. stories, uh, that was Iron Man 2 actually. Um, you, could, you could deal with the stories of, of that the, the comic books have put together, but you don't necessarily need to do the comic book, you know? Um, and so th- to me, Marvel's done a really good job on that and other places ex- like, you know, have done, have done decent job. DC has at least tried to do some shit with that. Um, but DC well, just, and that's studio involvement versus allowing the filmmakers to do. Well, what they like do. I said, it was, it was a fun podcast while it lasted, but <laughs> going to get no, a pitchfork out of here. That's, I don't care. Get his pitchfork out of here. I, I uh, think it, whole, going back to it, I love that movie. I do love that movie, but it is the four hour version. Like that is the one that really does it for me. I'm kind of joking about the Snyder cut. It's just like, it seems like Zack Snyder needs like four and a half hours to make the movie. He actually wants to make. (laughs) It seems like that frequently. Like that's, that's actually what's, yeah, the Snyder cuts. Well, they said they was doing it in four separate parts and now yes, they are, but basically it's going to be like, I mean, four, hour, four, four and a half hours long, and it's a- well. So they just came out and said it's one four-hour movie now instead of four separate parts. Hmm. Listen, it, apparently he needs four hours to te- to even begin to tell the movie he really wants. <laughs> that's that's. I mean, could you imagine if Zack Snyder made the Ten Commandments? That movie would probably be about twelve hours long. Like, and it would be dark as hell. The whole movie would just be under under a blue filter the entire time. Lightning in the background, and it'd be stormy while they're walking through the fucking desert. You know, bullshit like that. It'd be pretty epic, though. Like the parting of the Red Sea would be pretty epic. Not gonna lie. Not be full of blood, though. Like the parting of the Red Sea would be literally red. It's not a. It's not a nice story. (laughs) Imagine the Nile turning to blood in a Zack Snyder movie. Just picture (laughs) that. that. Just close your eyes and picture that in your mind. That would be it. You you tell me you would go see that movie. You yeah. know you would. <laughs> every every other Ten Commandments has like this blue, this deep blue water with whales and fish swimming in it and shit like that. And Zack Snyder's is like blood. <laughs> Moses parted the blood Red Sea. So. <laughs> All right. That's, yeah. a, that's why I love uh, the Deadpool uh, Deadpool two where he's making fun of uh, uh, the whole thing. He's like, "You're dark like the DC universe." It's just like, "Yeah, that's that's Zack Snyder for you." Um, all right, yeah, so, that was a great movie for me. They, see, you don't like you. Don't, I, I think Deadpool two is a lot worse than Deadpool one, and I get yeah, Deadpool I, one. I like Deadpool two. I was like, never watching this crap again. I I think I watched it again, and I, I kind of I to me I think it, it, I I understand why it, at least it hit me differently uh the first one had like like the origin story and all that stuff but it was like the the story of deadpool behind it and and it just is it was deeper it was a deeper story and the second one was just how many times can can ryan reynolds make the, the audience laugh you know how many yeah, times it, was, just it was a there was just his shtick and it got tired yeah so you know, people were talking about you know with like when um uh birds of prey came out and they were like but man, they're just really milking Harley Quinn's popularity for all it's worth, trying to turn her into Deadpool. And I, I remember replying that it's like, "Be frank, I'm getting sick of Deadpool too." Like, yeah, it just it's overdone. You're like, it, you know, it's just bullshit. Yeah, yeah. but uh, all right, you know, here's one for you. Here's one, uh, and this one I felt had an awesome cast. 
this to me was like one of the original like comic book movies, even though it's not from a comic book, but it was, it was kind of came out during our time as one of those, but the Avengers, not the fucking Marvel Avengers. Oh, the Avengers I like that. Ray yeah, Fiennes, Emma, Thurman, Sean Connery. Like this was yeah, 2001. Yep. No, I'm 1998. 1998. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll give that to you. But uh, Ray Fiennes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was still in high school because I was still working at the movie theater when this came out. I remember it coming oh. out. But uh, Sean Connery as a villain uh, was was excellent to begin with because you don't you never saw Sean Connery as a villain. I don't I can't think of one movie where Sean Connery was a villain. I cannot. Um, and then Uma Thurman. This was when I thought Uma Thurman was sexiest. This is like when I was like Uma Thurman, sexy as hell, um, and just it was very fucking fines, man. Like if if anybody like he's an actor that I feel that gets underrated, so kind of maybe like uh, Malcolm McDowell with Clockwork Orange. Maybe he never quite recovered from Schindler's List. Maybe. <laughs> um, Wait, one, you know, yeah. Like who was I mean, he? In, who was he in Schindler's List? He was a villain. I don't remember the villain's name. It's been a long ass time since I've seen Schindler's List, but yeah, he was the main villain in that. Was he really? Yeah. I'm sure you're a film buff? Holy shit, he was. Dude, I saw Schind- I saw Schindler's List one time. One fucking time. And it's like every other Steven Spielberg World War II movie. Nazis are bad. Oh, whoa, Holocaust bullshit. Like, like Okay, I- we're as if we weren't already going to get chased out. Stop, 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 stop. That's going to be I'm the kidding. sound bite right there. Stop it, dude. <laughs> like, all of a sudden, Fox News is like, they're anti-Semitic. And it's like, dude, I'm a Jew. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, I, w- I would like a disclaimer that uh, Steve is a catchoo. So I, I, I am a Jew. I am a Jew. So, so yes, woe is me. Like, uh, the World War II Holocaust is bad. But it's this is, like, the quintessential, like, if Steven Spielberg does a movie – Besides Indiana Jones or track lighting ET bullshit, like you get Nazis are bad, woe is us, blah, 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 blah. Like it just like, so I saw it once for what it was and for the historical aspect of what it was. And then after that, I was like, it's, I've seen it. Great. And I don't need to feel this way through a movie. It, it's not a movie I, I need to watch often. Anyway, we, the tangent there, we were going to, with Ralph, I still call him Feenies, but whatever. Um, uh, but yes, the Avengers, and I mean the remake of the old '60s TV show, The Avengers. Yes, I will agree with you. I think that is a fun movie. It's kind of weird. It's got a very odd vibe to it, so it's not for everyone. But uh, but it's good. Yeah. But the only thing that survived from that movie is a meme of Sean Connery in the teddy bear suit. Like, <laughs> saw that one. Sean Connery is wearing a teddy bear suit. Your argument is invalid. You know, <laughs> I need to find that meme because I'm going to use it now. <laughs> That's awesome. That is great. Um, all right, what you got, man? What's, what's your next? What's your next one? Well, the probably the uh, piece de resistance. I'm probably screwing that up. Piece de resistance. Whatever you know, the pinnacle for me in terms of underrated movies. And I honestly felt I saw this movie in theaters. We've discussed it before. I felt like the only person in the entire country who liked it. But something interesting's kind of happened in the last few years regarding it, not the movie itself. Eyes wide shut. Yeah. I know we we were both big Kubrick fans and have been big Kubrick fans for a long, long time. Right. But just even Kubrick fans didn't like Eyes Wide Shut. 
and I did. And I've, I've, I've loved even going all the way back to Lolita. Like Lolita was a relatively speaking clean film dealing with a very, I mean, the fact that that's as closest to a love story that he ever did is saying something, but, uh, so there's not bad language of the movie wouldn't have been made back then. And I think 62 when it came out, there's not a bunch of bad language or anything like that in it, but the things that are going on in that movie are only very slightly hinted at and it is screwed up. And it just, for the time period, uh, the things he snuck into Lolita amazed me and eyes wide shut kind of did the same thing. And it was just, especially like, I guess the guy, the guy, Oh, I can't remember the actor's name. He played, uh, uh, Boris the Blade in Snatch, but how because he, he has a kind of a small part in Eyes Wide Shut, and he's basically pimping out his niece or granddaughter or daughter or whatever. And you know, you know, Tom Cruise catches him like entertain with her or catches her basically entertaining a couple of clients, and he puts on this big show of getting throwing in a rage and throwing him out, and then oh, the next day he goes back and everything's hunky dory because he was just warding off Tom Cruise from what he accidentally stumbled upon. And even though, yeah, a lot of people do not like eyes wide shut nowadays. I think it's interesting with the last few years with everything coming out and a lot of rumors about like the elites of the world, like doing all sorts of sick jacked up shit that it was kind of like the movie didn't like necessarily get a second, you know, life out of that. But people kind of were like, they kind of brought it up saying like, you know, that shit's not that unbelievable. Yeah. (laughs) Not, Not real. Like, the, the, you know, the top peak rich and powerful of the world are into some dark shit and, you know, just kind of in the aftermath of Epstein and all that. And like, it was, people kind of look back at eyes wide shut, like, huh, that's not that hard to believe. Um, and I, I still love the line in the movie, his friend that, you know, he was at his Christmas party at the beginning of the movie. And then at the, you know, towards the end of the movie where he pulls him aside and it's like, look, I know where you were. I was there. You know, so I, they basically told me to tell you, like, this is your last chance back off. Like you, you saw something you weren't supposed to. And this is like your one and only chance for bad stuff not to happen to you back off. And when the, the line, he tells them, you know, like, if you know the names of the people, they were there, I'm not going to tell you their names, but if you knew them, you wouldn't sleep so good. Yeah. And that, I think that's my favorite line in the whole movie. So I, that is kind of my tip top number one underrated movie, Eyes Wide Shut. I'll go with that. Like I, I, I was like you, uh, one of the few that liked it. I, I mean, I heard stories about people throwing popcorn because again, he died right before it got released. And so I think that kind of helped drive the popularity um, of people going to see it. So it wasn't just cute. I don't think it was just Kubrick fans that were going to see it. I think people, a lot of people just wanted to be on the Kubrick train and be like, this is Kubrick's last film. We have to, this is the, the, the Artur Kubrick. We have to see his films. Um, and you know, me and you have been Kubrick fans. I think we bonded over Kubrick to be 100% honest. Um, yeah. And so, um, I, I, I agree with you that, that, that is a, I love the symbolism in that movie between, you know, just again, the, the idea of like what we do in our dreams versus what we do in real life. Um, and I really, cause what, cause essentially Nicole Kidman's character is living out all of her dreams or she's, she's, she's living life in her dreams and Tom Cruise is living out his dreams in real life. Um, and 
it's that's kind of what's creating the uh, the dynamic of their relationship at the time, right? And even down to the very end, where it's just like when he finally confesses to what he's been doing, and this entire time she's confessed her dreams to him, right? And so his outlet was search for this outside of the mm-hmm. marriage, and then suddenly it's like he comes to her when he realizes that that's really not the answer. And they come together and suddenly it's like, now they have to figure it out. And that last line was, well, we just have to fuck. And it was like, holy shit. <laughs> like that's, that's the way they, they fix their marriage. All right, cool. You know? So, um, and, you know, and I was kind of like, I mean, there's obviously a plot to it. I've always, always kind of liked how it, that movie wasn't really plot driven. So long, so much as here's like a 48 hour snapshot out of a guy's life. Yeah. Like, so you don't know if they're going to make it afterwards because it's literally just like here's you know this block of time of what this guy and his wife went through and you know his wife confessed that essentially mentally she had an affair like yeah. they went to the place she saw the naval officer and she's even though they probably never I can't remember if she even said they made eye contact or anything but they they never interacted with each other she just saw him but she admitted like if he had for whatever reason come up and hit on me I would have gone with him yep. so. Then Tom Cruise leaves the house. Well, first he gets called away for the, the one of his patients, but then he just leaves intent on cheating on his wife yep. in an act of revenge. And that leads him down a rabbit hole that he got way in over his head. And yeah, I just find it a good movie. I, I put it right up there with any of other Kubrick's works. My least favorite movie of his is actually Barry Lyndon. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't care for Barry Lyndon at all, but. Mine is uh, actually, uh, and it's not in the. It's usually not in the collections, um, but it's uh, uh, the one with the Paths of Glory. With uh, yeah, I've never, I've actually never seen that one. I know it's, and of course, there's the Kubrick movie that he disowned because Kirk Douglas basically directed the film. Well, Kirk, well, uh, but Spartacus <laughs> it was, you know, like basically Kirk Douglas just hired Kubrick to direct the film, and at the end of the day, Kirk Douglas told Kubrick how to direct the film. So. So Kubrick Kubrick is one thing he is not as a hired gun director. No. Yeah. And so essentially that's the way it was on set. Like it was Kirk Douglas telling Kubrick how to direct the film. And at the end of the day, Kubrick was finally like, fine, we'll do it your way. And I just, and he disowned the film at the end, at the end of the day, he's like, it's not really my movie. It's definitely the most normal movie of his. Yeah. Definitely. Um, Which I would have loved to see a Spartacus film by Kirk, by, uh, by, Stanley. I really actual. would have. Yeah. Like, like he was known for historical dramas and could you imagine the type of movie that he would have done if he was doing Spartacus or something? Could you imagine a 10 commandments by Stanley Kubrick? <laughs> that, that would be odd. That, how would he get the point? Like, like, I'm curious how he would deal with the, you know, the points of the story in Spartac in 10 commandments. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. It, it would be Kubrick-esque in so many ways. It, it start with the ending and it, within, you know, it's, I, I do like it. It's hard to sit through all four hours of any movie, much less 10 commandments, but I do like the 10 commandments, but it's I heard it put it's kitsch. It was Cecil B. DeMille making an absolute, like it was a Bible epic Bible epic, but it just, you know, almost uh, surgically designed to just be popular and to make people like it. Well, what's interesting is like not taking any risks or anything like that, right? Which, you know, it's trying to tell a Bible story. I get it, but 
Uh, Bible epics were a lot more prevalent back in the day than they are. They were. Today. And that was, and I, he kind of, that was, I think that was his last film. Um, and it's also his most popular. I think I'm not right off the top of my head. Sure. But I think, yeah, 10 commandments was Cecil B. DeMille's last film. And I, and it was just, yeah, again, it was his most popular. And he actually basically did like whatever the thirties, forties equivalent of porn was once upon a time. And he just kind of sort of started making popular movies towards the end of his life, including obviously his magnum opus, the 10 commandments. Hey, dude, like a lot of uh, directors uh, that we know of actually got their start making porn uh, Wes Craven. That's oh, how he got. That's I how he got his start. Was making porn. What? Who? Wes Craven. That's how he got his start. Was making porn. <laughs> like it's just like it's just it was it was the popular way. At least in the seventies, um, that's that's how you kind of learned the trade, so to speak. You made porn, and obviously nowadays, yeah. if you get in the porn yeah. industry, you're pretty much stuck in the industry. So don't, don't so even Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, <laughs> I, the, the, I haven't watched Family Guy in years and years and years, but you know, I think early back in the seat where Brian's trying to make it in Hollywood, and he ends up getting assigned to a porn without even knowing what it is, and it, it was Jenna Jameson, and he's trying <laughs> to walk out, and he's like, "I'm sorry, but there's absolutely no way I would consider doing this." And he sees her like drop her robe in the background, and he's like, "Unless I talk." <laughs> And the, the guy's like, oh, of course. And he hands it to him and he flips through. He's like, you know, this actually isn't bad. It's like, it's like banging the drum slowly, except the drum is a chick. Like, <laughs> I, I do like that joke. It's a funny joke. That's it. It's the, you, you use that one all the time. I, I tend to use the, um, the uh, is this really the blood of Christ? He must have been drunk all the time. Um, uh, <laughs> that's too funny. All right. I guess I, guess I got one. I got one. Um, yeah, Hold on, I'm trying to find it again. I had it, I had it uh, pulled up. I just gotta find it real quick. I'm being stupid here. Um, fuck. Oh, chef. Here we go. Chef. I don't think. I I don't. I don't know if chef is like. I would feel it's underrated because I don't think a lot of people have seen it. Honestly, I I, I would agree. Just John Favreau's little pet project he did on the side. Yeah, it was like. It was like he was he, he got tired of doing the big films and he needed something to kind of blow off some steam and do something more artistic. And uh, so Chef came about. And uh, it was, to me, it was fucking phenomenal. It was, uh, the, the st- like, honestly, the, the, the story of, of, a, of a father coming together with his son, you know, at the, at the end of the day. And, uh, like, even, even the, like, take out the drama between him being a chef. Like, you didn't really need that. You just needed the coming of age story between a father and son, you know, and, mm-hmm. and how they and how they kind of grow together. Um, and and the- I know we just dis- we discussed this once before with the beginning part with Scarlett Johansson. How I was just like, I, I'm curious, were they sleeping together or weren't they? And you they were, were like, oh, absolutely, they were. But the movie tells it entirely by the fact that he cooked for her. The there way no- he cooked for her, it wasn't even cooked- just like the there love- was never any other indication that they were sleeping together other than watching him cook for her. And I did. That's that's cool. Like he has such a love for, and a love of love and passion for cooking. And if you watch the way that like he does things in the kitchen to how he's chopping things and how he's slicing the, you know, everything and just throwing the shit together, like it's, it creates such this, this love and passion and he's sharing it with a person whom he, he may not love, but he wants to share a moment with her outside of just 
sex. So he's sharing his passion with this woman. And it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's awesome, man. Like that was, that was Favreau. I think, so not everything that Favreau touches is gold. I think the Lion King was bullshit. I love the jungle book. I thought the jungle book was great. Uh, but this is like, to me, and in the two iron Iron Man movies, like Iron Man showed that he had some chat, like he could do things, even elf. I think we talked about this in the last one. I thought, I thought elf was overrated. Um, like, yeah, you know, so, but this is, this is, to me, his a movie you love that I don't love is Swingers. I, I don't like Swinger. It, but he didn't yeah. direct it. I, let's, let's put this somewhere. He did not direct it. He just wrote it. So, okay. so well, I don't yeah. like it. So. I'll still give it to him that, that he was involved in that project. Uh, but I love, I think Swingers is great. Swingers was the, but also like when it hit me, like I was the, the high school kid that always was always getting dumped in relationships and shit like that. And so like when that movie came out, it spoke to me cause I'm like, Oh, I'm so depressed. And then I watched that movie and I'd be like, he gets it. He fucking gets it. Um, and, and everybody needs a friend like Vince Vaughn. Where's my fucking Vince Vaughn? You know? And, um, oh, I was, I was getting high. You were getting high with Jared and all that. And that's fine. Like that, that's life. Um, not even that not so much in high school. That was more after high school, but you know, it was just, but that was so, so anyways, um, Chef, though, is, is a great film. And it's, this is, take two good directors that, that were during our high school days. John Favreau, like two directors that I really like look up to, right? John Favreau and Kevin Smith. Let's just put those two in this, because at the end of the day, they were media darlings when they came out, right? Kevin Smith did Clerks. John Favreau did Chef, or did uh, did Swingers, and and uh, what I can't remember what his second, what, what the other, but anyways, you take these two directors. Did he do Bottle Rocket? Sorry, I didn't mean to. No, Bottle Rocket was Wes Anderson. Um, okay. Yeah, it was Wes Anderson. Like, if you couldn't tell by the weirdness of that movie anyways. I, I saw it once, and I think that was a movie you like that I don't. I do. I like that movie. I think I think it's a lot of fun. I don't think it's his best movie, but it's fun. And that's that's all I care about. Again, it's the music actually in that, in that movie that actually catches me uh, more than the actual story itself. Uh, but the story, the, the story to me is great because it's just, it's a guy trying to fit into life. Um, and so his way to do it is to convince his friends to become, uh, uh, um, people who rob homes, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and so, so great. All right. Outlaws. They, they want to become outlaws so bad. So that's, so he does it. That's the way he's trying to fit in and be, be an adult. Um, anyways, so you take these two directors, Kevin Smith, John Favreau, and you, you look at their careers now and they both came out about the same time. And, and you look at like the one who matured and the one who's kind of still stuck in the past. And it's really sad to see, cause Kevin Smith had a lot going for him, but he's just fucking lazy at the end of the day. I still love it. Like, I still love him. I still think he's a good, like a good director, but at the end of the day, like he's going to be Jay and Silent Bob forever because he's lazy. Like he can't get out of the slacker stoner stage. He keeps trying to get into the comic book film industry and it's just not working out. I don't think he is. Honestly, I think I, he's, he's had, he's had opportunities to get into the con. They, they, they asked him a bunch of times to direct uh, different like comic book movies and stuff like that. And from what I understand, um, he was on the shortlist for star Wars um, for, for the star Wars films and shit like that. And his, his thing is he's, he's like, I just, he's, it's too much work. He doesn't, he doesn't want to, to do it. And so he's, he's directed the flash TV series and their whole, I think the whole reason why he's fine with directing the flash TV series 
is because at the end of the day, he's not having to do the work involved to get like, he's got like, there's people and crew who do it on a daily basis. And he just has to be there to kind of help lead the actors. So a director's job on a TV show is vastly different than a director's job on a movie and planning and executing a comic book movie is way harder than planning and executing a TV show. Right. So, so I honestly, and he's admitted it. He's just fucking lazy and that's fine. He's lazy. Uh, but it's just, again, you, I just was looking at that. Like chef is like a very mature film for somebody who's cut like John Favreau is not still writing about being a slacker uh, who's losing love interest. He's writing about how he can grow with his son. And here you have Kevin Smith, who's still writing Jane Silent Bob. So. All right. All right. Sorry. That was, that was way off topic. So I apologize. It was, it was informative though. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Try to be. It's not, like really have, it's not like I really have another one to go to. I mean, like I said, finding movies we find underrated was way harder than finding overrated ones. You you don't think you have another one? I don't know. I'm just trying to think about it. Nothing's really coming to mind. Like, man, this is a really good movie. People don't like, I know like, and do I include like some of my favorite movies that had middling success? Cause it's one of my all time favorite, one of not my favorite movie. Go for Although it, I could probably say it. Talk about uh, it. was minority report. I think minority report is a good movie and it's just kind of forgotten about. Um, it's a good, like, and that's a good Spielberg action flick. Yeah. But I also liked, I liked how it was shot. I liked its, its cinematography. And I, I did like some of the philosophical questions it posed. And you and I saw that together, didn't we? Yes, we did. Yeah, We went to see that. Um, I guess you could argue that one of my all time favorite movies, or if you forced me to pick a favorite movie, uh, it would be contact. And I'd probably say that that movie's underrated. I think that movie's way better than, People just kind of don't think about it anymore. Heck, there's a lot of people today that haven't seen it. Yeah, it's, you know, 24 years old. But uh, I don't think that movie deserved to be forgotten, especially because it came out the year after Independence Day and the same year as Men in Black. And here was this intellectual sci-fi movie that was slow and dealt with a lot of issues. But everyone just wanted to go see Will Smith. Um, (laughs) So, yeah. I, that's kind of one of the things I think, and it's, it's, you've I've discussed with you before, and you're surprised by this, but Robert Zemeckis is my favorite director. Yeah, it's, it surprises it's weird me so much. He he did the Back to the Futures. I liked the Back to the Futures, but that's not why I like him. He did Forrest Gump, and I like Forrest Gump, but that's not the reason why I like him. I, I like him for Contact. I like him for Castaway, and lately, like Flight. And I t- like you just recently watched that because maybe I consider you know what Flight. That's an underrated movie. That was a Denzel Washington movie that just came and went. Maybe people saw it. They thought it was good. Maybe they didn't. But I loved Flight. That was a very good movie. Yeah. I mean, I did. I just watched that. And I thought I thought it was a decent. I think you and I talked about it a little bit. And my take is that, that it was probably originally written to be more of a Christian story. Um, based upon like how they kept alluding to God being in control of all of these situations, for example, mm-hmm. God being in control of the, uh, I can't remember who the, the, the woman, the heroin addict at the beginning of the movie, who he meets and kind of has a love interest with, uh, but that yeah, she recognizes, 
Yeah. She pulls out of her nose dive before he does. So exactly. She bails, she bails on him. But, but like God being in control of her life. And if, if you remember, there's that whole scene while they're both all three of like, there's three people. He, he goes out to have a smoke. She's sitting there having a cigarette. And then all of a sudden the guy from the cancer ward comes up and he's like, God chose me, you know, cause I have this real rare car. I have carcinoma. And, uh, you know, and it's a rare disease, a rare cancer. And so I was chosen by God to have this cancer. I don't know why, but I was cho- like, that was his just mindset. And so here's these other two people who God chose, so to speak, to go through their, to, to, to pull them out of whatever nosedive they were in. Right. Uh, God was, you see it behind even the pilot, the, the, the pilot, um, the co-pilot, the co-pilot and his wife, when he meets the co-pilot and his wife inside of that at the, at the hospital, even that the co-pilot was pissed because he knew that he was drunk, but then all of a sudden it changes gears and the co-pilot goes, but God was at, at the controls, like in the co-pilot's mind, he was basically like, God is the one who took your hand and flew that plane the way that he did. Like nobody else could have done it. It was God took your hands and did it. Nobody else could have done what you did. And so, um, and, and even the FAA did. So I, I just, I just, I have this whole thing that like, it was supposed to be written more as like a Christian movie of a guy who gets redeemed because of, you know, through his sins and all that as being, you know, as being a Christian. And I feel like Robert Zemeckis kind of undercut that and just brought up the story of alcoholism. And that's fine. Did he just, do you think he like, he brushed up against it, but turned away at the last second? Exactly. Kind of thing, yeah. Yeah. He just, he just kind of brushed it. And I think, I think he did it on purpose where the writer probably had it there. And then Zemeckis changed it. Zemeckis, Zemeckis or the studio, because they were probably afraid of being like, it's too Christian of a movie. So we could talk Maybe. about God, but we're not going to really make it like God was in control of these situations. You know. Maybe exactly right. I was, always thought it was interesting when the plane crash is happening. Like, you know, the FAA. There's obviously all sorts of rules about somebody being drunk flying a plane, but it was the sheer. There's a fact that he was drunk, that he was able to keep his head. Like any sober pilot would have basically pan. It was an impossible situation. So any any sober pilot would have crashed, and everyone would have been lost. But he was drunk, so he just kept his head and did what needed to be done. Yeah, and that that's but then just to me the 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 breakdown at the end the confession just and how he was home free and he broke down and confessed and it was just like all he had to do was was, point the finger at that woman that's all he had to do and he couldn't do it because of his love affair that he had with like he was like I can't ruin this woman who saved a boy I cannot ruin her reputation she did everything she was supposed to do and I was the bad guy yeah and I just the the end scene with him in jail where he was just, you know, it was just like, all of a sudden I had no more lies. Yeah. Like I, I told my last lie in my life. I just didn't have any more lies in me. And I, I love that line. So I just, <clears throat> it's a very good. And I think a, I don't have a lot of experience with like real life alcoholism, but I, I think it captured the, the line to yourself of addiction and the, ex, the constant excuse making and, you know, just always pretending to be something you're not because you don't want to confront your problem. Yes. And I believe that movie captured that very well. Um, but again, I don't have necessarily real world experience with addiction like that or alcoholism. <laughs> I would hope, like, I hope not. Like we've, we've never, I've seen it, 
I've, my mom was married to an alcoholic. So, so I, I, I've seen it, but, uh, yeah, like outside of that, like I'm not an alcoholic, you're not an alcoholic. Right. So. Yeah. Well, it's, and I don't really necessarily know anybody who is, I, I think I've seen, especially in my line of work, I've seen a lot of guys that I'm yeah, buddy. I think you drink a little too much, but, um, nothing to that degree. And just the sheer, but that, I love how many times he throws like all the booze in his house away only to end up getting more. And he just, I thought that was, yeah, that was an interesting thing. Wasn't like at the beginning, he just throws it all away. And then literally the one meeting he decides that screw it. I'm just gonna, you know, he's, he was like, he was ready to change his life right then and there. And he has one meeting that basically they say, Hey, by the way, you're being investigated. And he's like, fuck it. I'm just going to drink. And it just, mm-hmm. he, that's when he starts to go off on the bender. So, so yeah, definitely flights underrated. Yeah. Flights a better movie. Than- All right. I got, you might, you might, you might not like this one. Uh, the secret life of Walter Mitty with, with, uh, I haven't seen it. So you go to town. <laughs> so, well, so like everybody knows the story, like Walter Mitty, the story, right. Is, uh, him sitting, uh, him basically, uh, pretending that he's got this grand grand life, and then really he's just this head pecked man waiting for his wife, you know, uh, you know, clothes shopping or whatever. And uh, this one's a little—they take the story a little differently. Where he's he's in love with he wants he works for Time Magazine uh, or Life Magazine. Life is closing, obviously, because he's so that's the backdrop is that life is shutting its doors, and he's never lived his life. He's lived his life through the lens of one of the photographers uh, and he's always wished that he could be as cool as that photographer, like travel the world and do all the things like this photographer. And the photographer ends up being played by Sean Penn, who you don't discover till later, like last in the movie. Anyways, though, the story goes that there's a frame uh, from the, like the very last uh, shot ever done for life magazine, for the cover of life magazine by this photographer never makes it to his desk. He can't find it. It's gone. So he goes and he goes on a, on a mission to go find the photographer. And while he's doing it, like he learns to live life Um, and he's actually living his life. And that was kind of the point of the little story. So it was, it was really good. Maybe, maybe again, maybe it was just the the timing of that movie when it came out, me watching it uh, just came about at a time when like I started to kind of realize how to live life and how to have fun and do things. Maybe that was it. I don't know. But yeah, that's the secret what life of Walter Mitty, Ben Stiller. That's a good one. So you've never okay. seen that though, huh? Never saw it. You know me, I hardly ever see movies anymore. All right, I'm gonna give you one more. I know you've seen this one. Death to Smoochie. Uh you say that movie's underrated, I will disagree there. But you know, I've seen it. I don't Fuck mind it. You. <laughs> Um, really? But, uh, not, not, not really? Motherfucker. You know something? I don't. I'm not a fan of Edward Norton. I'm just not. That's fine, but he's a fucking villain in it. So who cares? It's Robin Williams and fucking Danny DeVito. Edward Norton is not a villain in that. He's the main character. Yes, he is. He's the oh. villain. Yeah, yeah. He's but he's the villain. Like it's fucking Robin. Like you're supposed to root for Robin Williams in that movie. I think you need to see that movie again. Like, Dude, like you're supposed to, like Robin Williams, you feel bad for. He's He wants to kill, yes, he wants to kill Edward Norton, but Edward Norton's a sleazeball too. No, he's not. He's absolutely not a sleazeball. That's the whole point of that movie. 
You need to see that movie again, man. You're not. I will watch it again, man. You're not remembering that movie very well. I am, motherfucker. You're just. Okay. Here's one that you haven't seen The Fall. The Fog? You won't give me that one. The Fall. The Fall. You haven't seen that one. I haven't seen that. Okay. You should see that movie. You would enjoy it. You would enjoy it. It's 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 about a stuntman uh, who who's basically telling a story to a young kid in the from the hospital. Uh, you should definitely see that. The guy who plays Ronan the Accuser in Guardians of the Galaxy uh, is the main character in this movie. So, hmm. um, it, it was, um, a movie I do find underrated. Uh, I won't like defend it very hard because I'm like like that blown away with it. But a movie I thought was better than I got credit for was Vanilla Sky. I did like Vanilla Sky a lot. Ah, yeah. Fuck that movie. Screw that movie. I, but I'm, like I said, I'm not going to like defend it. You know, I'm not going to die on that hill. But <clears throat> <laughs> like, I don't understand how anybody likes that. Like the, as far as I'm concerned, the only Cameron Crowe film that is worth a damn is Almost Famous. Honestly, it, Almost Famous is a movie I really liked when it came out, but it's. Not a movie I'm really going to go out of my way to ever see again. Really? Yeah, I'm just like, me. Um, what's wrong with it to you? In, in my, like, what is, what is a movie? What is, what is a reason you would not watch that movie? <clears throat> I, one, I am not as impressed, like, because I was so heavy into Led Zeppelin and Aerosmith and Pink Floyd. I still like these bands, yeah. but growing up in high school, I was just so into all this classic rock. And those three, especially, like, I went, obviously, you and me, we still like Aerosmith, and they are still my favorite band. But I just, I had a huge Led Zeppelin phase, followed by a slightly smaller, but still really big Pink Floyd phase. And, um,. <clears throat> Ever since I grew out of that, I just find movies that just obsess over all that really pretentious. I guess that's the best way for me to put it. Really? Yeah, I just... And, like... Like, you're supposed to really like Penny Lane, okay? So Penny Lane's this really likable character and almost famous. Uh-huh. And... Growing up and now being more mature, I look back at that and I'm like, she's an airhead. <laughs> That's basically like all I can think of looking back in the movie. I mean, I could think of worse. Well, movies, yeah, but, but you, like, and it's it comes down to the. Wonder, uh, That's why it was never a love that was going to last, though. Like that 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 love in that movie would never like. Well, and that's you and thing, I both and look it, at that and just be like, it would, be, now, it would always be a. Uh, uh, it was an unrequited thing because basically she looked at him. Why can't I remember his name in that movie? Um, yeah, I can't remember any of the main characters other than Penny Lane. But so the main character in the movie, she looked at him the way the guitarist from Stillwater looked at her. So yeah, he was, like it was, it was never around this been unrequited heart. though. But she was carrying around this broken heart for a guy who was always just going to bang the next groupie. Meanwhile, breaking his heart. You know, and, um, you know, I was just looking back on that now, like now I have entirely different opinions about like, you know, just always trying to, uh, put a girl on a pedestal. I've, I've learned in my older age, like that's, that's a mistake. 
it's, and it's like, uh, when you think about like way. all the pop, <laughs> like all the popular songs from I'm gonna say before 1990 were basically simp tunes. Like, yeah, like it, it was all all of music was kind of putting women on pedestals back then, and then. I mean, I mean, just no. look at Led Zeppelin wrote like one ro- broken heart song after another. Meanwhile, every time they were on tour, they were running around with all sorts of groupies on their wives. Like they were all, they all had wives, but they all just banged out 500 groupies a, a tour while writing songs about <laughs> women who are unfaithful to them. And it was, <laughs> and it's looking back on that now, it was just, you know, <laughs> so I liked almost famous when it came out, but looking back on it, it's just, it is creating a legacy out of a very retarded time in our life, in our history. And the, 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 the late sixties, early seventies was a disastrous period of time. So I do not look back on it as fondly as I do when I was a high school kid listening to Led Zeppelin and shit. I think the music that came out of the sixties and seventies was great. Now, again, you're, you, you've got a different, different idea, but that's fine. I, 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 I think we did at the time, but the now music I'm... of the sixties and seventies was more, I think the music of the sixties and seventies was more poetic um, and had more sure. meaning to it than the music we get today. Like that's so, so, and it, they like the music today you can do, a lot more with because the technology is different. So they had to create the technology. Like they did things with that. They didn't like, for example, even just the, the, the invention of a distortion, you know, it was called the fuzz box back then, right? Like they wanted to do a certain sound and they couldn't do it. Now they have a pedal that, that creates it, that creates the sounds that they want. Um, And so you had much more artistic value it's the same thing as you and I talking about film, like film today, at the end of the day, I want a giant monster. And so I just need to hire the right people to put together with the right monster uh, in a computer and just throw that into after effects or whatever, you know, we were going to use. And then great. Now I have a giant monster chasing, you know, my, my hero back then you had to actually figure out how to do things, uh, you didn't want to just a guy in a rubber suit. So how can I create this giant monster using the effects that I know, or how can I, you know, Hitchcock is a really good fucking example. Here's underrated films right here. Hitchcock, Hitchcock, all of Hitchcock's films are vastly underrated. People today understand. He wasn't though, dude, he never won a fucking Oscar. Okay. He was not a popular director when he when he was around. Nowadays, he's popular. We look at his movies and we're like, fuck, man, this guy was like the top of his game. But I think the only reason why we can turn around and look at Hitchcock the way that he is is because he's been sold that way to the public over time. So he was the master of suspense. But his movies were really never, ever really popular films. Psycho was his first popular movie, right? And even after that he really struggled with, with popular, like making a popular film. And it was, so psycho actually changed how we view movies. And this, this is really important too, if you want to know the history. So before psycho, 
people would just pay their 25 cents, their 50 cents to go see a movie. And, but they would show up at any damn time. So they pay their 50 cents and they might show up at the end of the movie. And then they would just stay in the movie theater because the, the movie would just keep playing. They would just keep playing the movie over and over. There weren't times. There weren't, you have to be at the movie at one o'clock and then see the trailers and then see the movie and then leave. And then, Next is the five o'clock showing like that didn't exist back then. Psycho was the first time that existed because he didn't want to give away the ending. So people in the, in the day would literally just show up, pay their 50 cents, get in the movie theater and watch the film. And whether no matter at what point, so that if they came in at the ending, they would watch the ending and then they would watch the rest. They would stay and watch the rest of the movie until they got to their point, the ending, and then they'd get up and walk out. And then the movie theater would just recycle the movie. And so it was just a kind of a constant ebb and flow of people coming in and out of the movie. Psycho changed that because he didn't want people to give away the ending. Movie theaters had no clue how to deal with that. So all of a sudden now they had people lining up. People people were like pissed that, that they changed how you could see a movie. Nowadays, we just accept it because we're like, this is how it's done. You know, and we get great films out of it. We get fucking M. Night Shyamalan you know, in fucking uh, the sixth sense all of a sudden showing us that Bruce Willis has been dead this whole time. And we're like, holy fucking shit. But if we saw the ending of the movie, it would have given out the whole, it would have given away the whole movie from the very beginning. And we would have been like, that's ah, boring. Who cares? So, so Psycho changed, changed a lot of things, but this is, this is Hitchcock was a, like he was really the first Artur. Like he was the first like guy who understood how to, um, how to really create that medium of film and, and do different things with it and let's play around with it. So he would like his way of creating, like, for example, somebody falling, right. Was just like, we're going to move the camera really fast up. We're going to just keep the actor in place and have a screen behind him that looks like he's falling. So he's getting closer. Like, so the screen behind him is like the top of the statue of Liberty. And now it's going to be towards the ground but the camera's going to move up. So that way it looks like he's getting, and it was just like, that's, that's, you know, so they had to create things. The first matrix movie, I give the first matrix movie props. Like I think the first matrix movie was a lot of fun and it was a good film. Was it a great film? No, but the effects that they wanted to do in that movie didn't exist in CGI and they didn't have the money to create them in CGI. So, I'm going to say it and we're going to get canceled and I don't fucking care. But the Wachowski brothers, not sisters, brothers, because <laughs> that's what they are. Um, God, I'm going to get, uh, this, uh, God, man, I can't show my face. This is, this is bad. No, um, not on bitch. Not on bitch. You'll be fine on bitch. All right. <laughs> the Wachowski brothers. Fuck, man. <laughs> They're going to be like, that guy's a dick. I'm going to be like, I know, but they're the Wachowski brothers. Anyways, the Wachowski brothers could not like that, that technology didn't exist. So they created the bullet time effect. Like it's known as the bullet time effect now. Right. And very short lived. <laughs> yeah. Cause it, once it was done, like once it happened, you're like, okay. And then everybody tried it and you're like, nah, it's not really as great as, as like it was good. The matrix made sense. Everybody else is just trying to capitalize on it. I think it's so cool. Anyways, that was only good for uh, parodying the Matrix. Do you still remember when they tried to add it to NFL? Oh shit, man! It was bullshit. Like you know, 
But again, they couldn't, they, they didn't have the technology to do it. So what did they do? They set up like 20 different cameras in a circle around the actor. And, and mind you, they green screened it. So that way they could still do some of the CGI effects that needed to happen. But they set up these cam, and all they did was they just took a still shot of Keanu Reeves going like this 20 different times. Right. So then at the end of the day, what you had is a slowdown effect. So that way then they could add in the bullet through CGI and all that like that. So it was cheaper just to do the bullet effect than it was to like, how do we get Keanu Reeves to do like, now we got to take a, uh, and even it was so bad. Like we, like when the second and third matrix came out, because all of a sudden now they had the budget to do CGI and it looked like shit compared to the first time. So if they just kept the effect the same, it would have been so much better. I don't know. That's, that's my two cents about it. So, um, all right, I got one more for you. You've probably never seen it, um, but I'll throw it out there. The Straight Street by David Lynch. Mm. Never seen it. <laughs> okay, so it's, it's, I think it's really funny because, you know, so the movie is about a guy. It's a true story, and it was done by Dis- like Disney was the other was was the was the uh, was the production company behind it. So it's Disney hiring David Lynch to do this film about a guy who drives a tractor cross country to go visit his his family. Um, so like it's it's basically uh, uh, the guy drives his tractor to go visit his brother who's dying of a stroke. (laughs) And what I find so funny is it's David Lynch doing a movie called the straight story. And it's literally the most unlynchiest film that ever existed. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's, it's like, it's about a guy named Alvin. The the name of the character is Alvin straight. And it, the, the movie is, a very straight linear linear film. So, all right, I'm just going to leave it at that. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, all right, John. What else do you got? What else do you got, my friend? Uh, I'm pretty much tapped out. Are you really? All right. Should we end it here? Sure, we can end it here. Did did we uh, did we cover enough? Did we cover enough uh, stuff? I think I think we covered enough. I do. All right, all right. We will we will end it here then. Um. All right. Well, this has been another episode. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. So again, I'm Stephen, and I'm John, and. Uh, this has been Quixotic, so tune in for the next time. Where What are we going to talk about next time, John? Uh, I have an idea about discussing the state of dating in relationships nowadays. So so we're going to move away from pop culture to uh, to uh, dating and what 2021 is going to look like? We, we have, there are other windmills to charge. All right, fair enough. I'll go with it. I like it. <laughs> there are windmills to charge. Uh, perfect. All right. Well, thanks for joining in, guys. Thank you.